you're pretty hot. I'm really hot. We should go out. Ladies, would, would that be a good pickup line? No. And I asked the girl who told me this. I said, well, was he hot? She goes, no. I had to shoot him down because he asked me in front of all these people. Um, <laughs> okay, here's some, here's some other things. True things. Woman says, honey, do these jeans make my butt look fat? The all-intelligent man says, oh, honey, don't blame the jeans. That's not a very wise man right there. Um, <laughs> another one. Um, you'd be hot if you lost 10 to 15 pounds. True story. Do you have a hot sister? <laughs> uh, okay. Um, pregnant woman. Very large pregnant woman. She's just, she's describing this. I read, read her account of this. Pregnant woman is so pregnant that she has to go to the bathroom a lot and she's having trouble getting into the bed because their bed is kind of big and she's kind of short anyway. And she said that she was so pregnant that she could no longer get in bed front ways. So she would have to turn around. So one of the many times in the middle of the night that she'd gone to the bathroom, she says that she comes back and she's kind of stumbling through the dark and, and trying to back into bed. And from the dark, her husband starts going, beep, beep, beep. And then the, the all-intelligent one says, honey, we should get you an alarm like those big old trucks. <sighs> Not very smart. I was asking my wife about this. I said, honey, what's the dumbest thing that I've ever said to you? And, you know, I give her free, uh, free, um, ammo, free, yeah, free shots. Come on, baby, take those shots. And so she said, the worst thing I've ever done is because, I won't even try to justify, um, she was in the kitchen and she was, Janie is an incredible cook. Anybody's been around Janie? She's an incredible cook. And, uh, so she gets bored though, as all, as all artists in the kitchen do, or artists in anything, they get bored with doing things that they know they can do well. And so she will sometimes experiment. And one day she said she'd been working particularly hard, and, and, and in her words, it looked really pretty. And she comes and she sets it down in, in front of me, and, and at our table, my son is directly across from me, and so she sets it down, it's something we've never seen before. Our eyes meet, and I say, Caleb, I think your mother has lost her mind. And uh, she said that was the dumbest thing that I've ever said. Now, guys, we need to learn to think before we speak, right? There's definitely some things. If we're going to be the men God wanted us to be, there are some things we need to not do, some things we need to stop doing. And I have a music video that enumerates a lot of these things that you should not do. It's called the Don't Song. Check this out. Impossible Mathematical Don't 
don't, 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 don't do it. Stop, must stop it. Cut it out. Never leave an argument by yelling out, "Well, fine, don't do it." Unless she was asking how your day was, and you said it was more like, "Well, fine." That's okay. She makes dinner. She needs to do the dishes. He's kidding. I was. That's your job. Never tell her jokes like, "What do you do when the dishwasher stops working?" You tell her to get back to work. No, that's not funny. Maybe just a little. Don't even think of laughing. Oh, don't. Don't. So let you don't, don't do it now. Stop, must stop it. Cut it out. Always ask about her day. Help her fold the laundry, and don't forget to spray. Lysol in the bathroom. If you do these, you will see you'll make her so happy, and your marriage will be sturdy. Like an oak. But there are so many things. You must don't, 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 don't do it. Stop, must stop it. Cut it out. Don't, don't stop. Stop right in your tracks. Don't, don't do it now. Stop, must stop it. Community Church music video coming out of that. Don't. Um, men are notorious for saying and doing dumb things. Anybody agree with that? I did a search on Google. When I Googled dumb men, I came up with 3,999,000 hits for dumb dudes. Um, what is wrong with us? We just, I mean, I share with you all the time. I've, I've got another story. Um, I was hunting with my roommate in college, and we were dove hunting, and there was this place, this, these people in my church had this nice place, and it had sunflowers all over the place, and it had this, this dry creek bed running down the middle, and we called it a draw. Well, the, the birds flew pretty well, but if they ever stopped flying, they would generally fly along the draw. There were sunflowers down in the draw, and they would drop down in. And so one of us would volunteer to walk along and... Um, jump the birds. And then the other guys would be up on one side because they generally flew this one direction and, and we would shoot the birds. Well, in the middle of the draw, there was this, or, or on one side, there was this huge oak tree. I mean, big enough that you could get two or three people behind it and no one would know you were there. Well, it was my roommate's turn to walk through the draw and jump up the birds. And so I was hiding behind the oak tree. 
and, and we would generally talk to one another so we'd have some perspective because he's so far down in the draw and they're so, the sunflowers are so tall, you can't see where the person is. So it's a generally a good idea to communicate. You know, at least say, hey, I'm right here, I'm here, whatever. Well, I, I, we lost contact for several minutes and then I heard a group of birds fly. And so I do what anybody in the field does when the, when birds come up. I swing out from behind and I get a bead on, on a bird. And just about the time I'm going to pull the trigger, something hits me in the face. It was not a bird. It was a pellet from my buddy's shotgun down in the draw. Homeboy is following along and pointing the gun right at me. I go boom and then this hits me in the face. Some shot, some pellet. And it burned. And, and at first I don't know what's going on. And I'm freaking out. I drop my gun. I dive behind the oak and I'm going... Stop shooting at me! And of course, birds are flying. He's bam, 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 bam. He can't hear me. And I, I'm screaming. I'm so mad. My idiot roommate shot me. I mean, we were good friends until that day. And so I yelled at him and he apologizes profusely. Oh, I'm sorry, Wash. I'm sorry. I can't believe I shot you. I said, man, you're an idiot. You know, there's one oak tree on the property and you knew I'm hiding behind it and you shot me. Two weeks later, it was my turn to walk in the draw. And unintentionally, I shot my, my roommate and uh, he yelled at me and I apologized profusely. Um, and we are friends to this day. Now, here's what I want to know. If you are just kind of walking along in life and, and you knew that someone was pointing a gun at you, they got a gun trained at your head. Are you just going to go, no big deal? No! You're going to do something. Dive for cover, shoot first. I don't know what you're going to do. You're going to do something. What if that gun were trained on, if you're married, on your spouse? What if that gun were trained on your children? Do you just blow that off? Kind of doubt it. Well, in, in a very real way, there is an enemy who has his sights set on you men, on your spouse, on your children, and his sole goal in life is to destroy you, to destroy your relationships. And he wants to take you out because he knows. In the Bible, God has given us all we need, this blueprint for how we can be godly fathers, godly husbands. He's given us everything we need to know because God is, has designated us. You don't get elected leader of the family. God, your creator, designated you men as the leader of your home. And, and then God's given us instructions that together with our wives, we're supposed to raise our children with God as the highest priority so that they grow up and they become responsible adults. And then when they have children, we have this link to, the, to this biblical lifestyle that works. It's the only lifestyle that works. And God can carry on his, his godly generations that way. So what Satan wants to do is he wants to focus on you men, take you out, and destroy this link to our future generations. And it doesn't take long to realize that's what's going on in our country, right? He has two specific strategies. These are on your listening guide. That he wants to employ to destroy your family. Strategy number one is he wants to sever a husband's relationship with his wife. The really cool thing is that our enemy is predictable. His name is Satan. He's the enemy of God, our Creator, which makes him the enemy of any person who gets serious about Jesus Christ, who calls himself a follower of Christ. He is serious about taking you out. The first way he wants to do that is to sever the relationship, the husband's relationship with his wife. 
And he will, he will attempt to create distance, either physical distance or emotional distance. Either one works just as well. Satan doesn't care. Either one, physical distance, emotional distance between you and your spouse, he wins. The second strategy he uses is to sever a father's relationship with his children. And again, Satan does not care whether it's physical distance or emotional distance. Either one is equally as effective. Now, I don't know if you've realized this, but in dove hunting or in bowling or basketball or whatever the sport is, error increases with distance. I've shot a bow and arrow, been been uh, bow hunting a few times, and, and I found out if I'm right next to the target, I can hit the bullseye. Back up ten paces. I, I miss a little bit. Um, Caleb and I play a lot of horse in our basket, and I and I figured out if I'm right there underneath it, I can make 95 out of 100 layups. I could make 100, but I'm lazy, and you know I just get lazy. But when I back up, my accuracy decreases. The further, did you know in the NBA, a good percentage from the three-point line is 40%? That's because it's like out in Egypt that you're shooting from. You make four out of ten shots in the NBA, you're a millionaire if you can make that from the three-point line. The farther I am away from my wife, physically or emotionally, the more marital problems I'm going to have. The farther away I am from my children, emotionally or physically, the less influence I'm going to have in their life, the more rebellion is going to increase. Years ago, I heard this, and it's true. Rules without relationships equals rebellion. Guys, we're real good at the rules. We suck at relationships. Just putting it mildly. So let's figure out what we need to do today to decrease the distance between Men and their wives. And if you're single, you know, a lot of folks, if we start talking about anything marriage-wise, they just blow off the whole single thing. Well, 90% of you singles are going to get married at least once. I hope it's only once. Because I don't want you to suffer through divorce. Anybody here that's divorced will tell you, you don't want to go there if you don't have to. Well, how are we going to, how are we going to have this, these close relationships? Well, today we're going to talk about how a man can close the distance between himself and his wife. Next week, we'll talk about how he can close the distance between uh, himself and his children. But we want to decrease that distance so that we have a higher accuracy. Let's look at the Bible. Let's figure out what God says about how to do this. Genesis 2.24. A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. God's design is one man, one woman be united for the good in the world. They become a force in the world. Now, that does not mean I lose my personality. It doesn't mean that Janie loses her personality. What it means is when we learn how to combine our strengths, we become better together than we were apart. God's design is for us to come together and my strengths to offset her weaknesses. She has strengths that offset my weaknesses. When we function that way and when we're close, great things happen between us and in our children, in our family. I want to let you in on a little secret. The enemy cannot destroy your family if he can't separate the husband and wife. It's called divide and conquer. He's been practicing it ever since humans have been around. Divide the husband and wife. Then you can jack up the family for generations. 
But the other side is also true. As Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story. That was a horrible Paul Harvey, but you get the idea. The rest of the story is when a husband and wife refuse to be divided, they become this impregnable force for good in our society and for building future generations that not only know there is a God, they know that His way of life works. When Satan wants to destroy the family, he focuses on the husband. You see, when when husbands and wives are united in one, they're not wasting their energy fighting one another. They can pour all of that energy they were wasting into building one another up and building up the family. But guys, I just got to tell you something. When a man gets serious about serving Christ, there's a big bullseye. See, if, if, if you're not following Christ, you're already neutralized and Satan doesn't waste his time on you. But the moment you say, I'm going to follow Christ, he puts his bullseye on your back and is going to try to take you down because if he can take you down, he can take your family down. But you know, you are not even the real target and your spouse is not even the real target. You, you may suffer in the process of being destroyed, but you know who's going to suffer more? The children. And that's his goal, is to ruin your children. Well, let's talk today about how we can decrease the distance between husbands and wives. And, and if I were single, I'd be taking notes. And by the way, most of this stuff comes out of this book by Willard Hartley, uh, His Needs, Her Needs. Um, I have a group of guys that I meet with on a weekly basis and we read through books and, and I just told one of them, uh, the other one Drew's finding out right now, uh, we're going to read this in the future together. I've never known any couple who read this book who their marriage didn't increase tenfold if you did what it says. That sounds like pretty good odds, right? All right, well, let's let's look at some of these things. Dr. Harley has identified ten needs, and, and what he says in the first of the book, he says there's a disclaimer. Generally, women have these five needs and men have these five needs, but there's ten total needs, and he actually has a, a test in the back of the book where you go through it, you figure out what your highest needs are, then you tell your spouse. Seems logical to me, but it doesn't happen very often. If you're about to get married, or if you if you want your marriage better, read the book together. Guys, I don't care whether you read or not. Let her read to you. Get someone to put it on tape or CD or MP3. Number one, let's look at these things. My wife needs my affection. Okay, right up front, guys. This is not sex. Man, did that blow my mind. See, I grew up in a family where there wasn't much affection. And, and I'm not faulting my parents. They grew up in family that there wasn't any affection. And so, like, I'd be sick and laying on the couch. That was back before you had a remote control. I'd be so sick, I'd be throwing up. I couldn't walk to the TV to turn the dial so I would get on the floor and roll. And, you know, that's really, there were three channels, ABC, NBC, CBS. And you'd look for a channel and you'd roll back to the couch because you had your puke bucket over there. And I would long for my mom just to come and hang out with me. And, and again, I'm not knocking her. But she didn't, she didn't show me affection. So when, when Janie and I were dating, there was lots of affection, holding hands and all that stuff, because I'd not ever experienced sex at that time. And so holding hands, kissing, woohoo! But I didn't know that affection existed outside of sex. And so that can cause problems. Let's, let me tell you this. Affection is the cement of relationships. Affection symbolizes security, com- comfort and approval. 
when a husband shows his wife um, affection, you're sending this message to her that I love you, I care for you, I want to protect you and provide for you. Colossians 3.19 says it this way, Husbands, love your wives and be gentle with them. Being gentle means doing affectionate things with no agenda. Now, there's lots of examples of guys who instead of giving their wives affection, they give them affliction. They're always beating them down with their words. They're always criticizing something. We've got to understand that affection and sex are two totally different things. To a man, affection means foreplay. Affection is the stuff you do before you get the real stuff. That's what most men think. But to a woman, that's totally, totally separate. And what seems to be happening too often is that guys will use affection to get sex and women will use sex to get affection. Most affairs happen because the man doesn't get enough sex and the woman doesn't get enough affection. It's this vicious cycle and your enemy knows it. And if he can divide you on this point, he wins. Nobody I know of who has committed adultery planned from their earliest moments to destroy their family. Nobody. But it happens and, and I'm not blaming anybody, but I'm saying it happens when we don't pay attention or one of us is just jacked up and doesn't care. Ladies, it's real important that your guy knows what affection means to you. Don't think we'll somehow figure it out because we're not that smart. And don't get mad that we don't figure it out. If you want me to get somewhere, I will make it. I promise. I'm a map guy. If my wife gives me a map about what affection is to her, I follow it. I give her, I didn't even realize this till a few weeks ago. When I come to church, I'm so focused on, on speaking and I try to greet everybody who comes in and the larger we get, the harder that is. And, and I, I'm just, my kids will tell you, I'm focused on, on what we need to do on Sunday mornings. And so a few weeks ago, she was standing by the kitchen sink and I walked out and I just put my arm around her and kissed her and walked off. Didn't think anything of it. Got home and she said, you have never done that on a Sunday morning at church. Now, I kiss her all the time. But I'd never done that. And she said, that meant a lot to me. I'm looking for opportunities that I can do that on a regular basis. we got to figure out what makes them feel loved and do those things. And, and see, affection is a habit. Anyone can become affectionate. I don't give a rip if you never got affection. If your wife says hugging me makes me feel good, guess what, dipstick? You need to hug her. I'm not a hugger. Well, okay, here's what you do. Do this. Just go into the mirror. She comes in, just say, baby, I'm practicing being affectionate. You go in and you do this. Well, that doesn't feel natural. Pretend you're making a basketball goal for somebody to shoot through. You've done that. Do it about 3,000 times. Then, do it 3,000 times with her in the middle. Before you know it, you're getting pretty good at the hugging thing. Just, just saying. Listen to this quote, because you do not want this. When women submit to sex without affection they need, then sex becomes a negative. Every time she has sex, it is a debit, a withdrawal from her relational love bank. Over time, guys, if you keep making those withdrawals, you will not have the funds to cover. Eventually, sex begins to repulse the woman. And you don't want that. So learn to be affectionate. Real quick, here, here's simple. Simple. A look, a word, and a touch. Whenever Janie's in here, I always want to know where she is. Because I, I want to make eye contact with her at some point. 
And when she's near me, I'm always going to touch her and hug her, hold her hands. I'm going to do those things. Even Nolan Ryan, when he used to pitch in the majors, if he knew his wife Ruth was going to be in the stands, she said at some point in the first one or two innings when Nolan would take them out, he's concentrating on what he's going to do. He, she knew and she waited for him to make eye contact. And that made her feel loved and appreciated. That's simple. Take your eyes off of the TV, put it on your wife just for a second. Give her a kind word. Give her a, a, a soft touch. Not just a pat on the butt. That doesn't count. And we'll do that sometimes just being crazy. I'll walk in and I'll just smack her on the rear and I go, hey, baby, did I do something for you? She's like, no. No. I'm like, bang. Remember this, guys. No affection means no sex. And, and I've, I've heard that um, they actually sell flowers 365 days a year. I haven't checked on this yet, but I've heard that's a rumor. How many women like having flowers? Let me see your hands. Okay. Guys, I have a clue. One of my best friends is like one of the biggest dipsticks when it comes to relationships. And so his wife will, will hand him her vase that she likes filled every now and then she'll just hand him the vase and say, you know what to do. And he says, yes, ma'am. Another way to close the distance is number two. My wife needs conversation with me. Remember when you were dating? You couldn't wait to talk to her. You talk for hours and hours about nothing. You talk on the phone, walk in the park. It didn't matter as long as you were together or as long as you could hear her sweet voice. What happened? Well, the oversimplified answer is that men tend to be task-oriented. In dating, there is a big objective for a guy. And now we don't consciously think this, but, but the objective is to win your heart. When you say, I do, it's like, got that. And, and subconsciously, many times, guys shift to the next task. You know what the next task is? Work. And so without even thinking, we're morons, I told you that. Without even thinking, we'll put all of our emphasis into our job, into our providing for you, thinking that that connects with you. <laughs> you, ne you don't care about me. I work 70 hours a week for you! And she says, that doesn't count, idiot. I never found a woman yet who would trade more money for less time with you. You can't say... If you can't agree with that, maybe just say, ouch. We're going from there. Let's make this real simple. Here's a definition of conversation. Conversation is verbal attention. And we could even say verbal affection. It means that you value what she has to say. You are putting deposits into her relational love bank when you connect with her and listen and pay attention. Proverbs 13.7 says, Reliable communication permits progress. If you want progress in your marriage, or if you're not married and you want progress in your relationship, then you need to learn how to communicate. Women talk about how they feel, and they may have a hundred different feelings before they get to the facts. But if you're a smart man, you'll shut up and listen. Dr. Harley says that women need... 15 hours of conversation from their spouse a week. That's two hours a day. And I know you men are going, there's no way. Well, 
if you want to be the man God has created you to be, and if you want to be the hero to your spouse, you better figure out to make a way. Because the reality is, your enemy wants to divide and conquer you. And if you will not pay attention to her, he will find somebody who will. I know people, and I've read story after story in these books about it started with someone listening. He or she wasn't looking for an affair, but someone paid attention and it made them feel valuable. Things not to do. Use conversation to get what you want. Your wife is relationally smarter than you are. If you're going, uh-huh, 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 let's go to bed. She figures that out, guys. If you're just listening to get sex, she'll know. Don't use conversation to punish each other. Do you know what buttons to push to set your spouse off? Sure you do. And while it might be entertaining to watch them fly off the walls from time to time, it's not a smart way to connect with your spouse. So don't try to punish them with your words. Dwelling on past or present mistakes in conversation, let me just add another one I didn't put on here. Don't bring the weaknesses of your spouse out in front of other people. That's not love. That's stupidity. Okay, positive conversation tools. Develop an interest in each other's favorite topics. I'm not even going to say it because I'll be in trouble. Balance the conversation. That means listen, don't fix. I'm a fixer by nature. People come to me and I have to work so hard not saying, here's the problem, here's the solution, go. And so with Janie, we're coming up on our 18th year of marriage. And in our marriage, there have been times that she'll come in and, and, and I've read the books and I've counseled a lot of people and so I try to try not to be a fixer and I'll just be sitting there. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I still want to tell her how to fix it. And I sit there and I'll sit there and then she'll be quiet. She may go in the other room. She'll come back and she'll go, she'll go, what would you do? And I say, wait, wait, time out. Are you really wanting to know what I would do? Or is this a trick question? And she doesn't try that trash. Because sometimes, you know, people will say, I want to know. And then you tell them, they go, that's stupid. You know, don't, don't pull that. Don't ask my opinion. But there's times she'll come in and she'll go, I don't know what to do. Tell me what you would do. And I'm like, okay, I'm in my element. Here, here's what you do. And, and it works that way, but, but I've got to listen first or I don't even get the opportunity to fix. Um, use conversation to inform, investigate, and understand. Any man can do this. How many of you men watch ESPN? How many of you men like sports? How many of you men watch any news? I'm trying to get you all. Let's keep asking questions till all men raise their hands. Okay. What the, what the reporter does is he asks questions or she asks questions. How did you feel? They're trying, they're investigating. If you need some game to play, you're an investigative reporter. You're trying to solve something. Don't be an idiot, but you know what I'm saying. Ask questions. You can do this. It's not that hard. Give each other your undivided attention, which means turn off the TV, Wes. I've been to his house way too many times. Conversation is 7% words, 38% tone, and 55% expression. So if you have this blank stare when your wife is trying to converse with you, you flunk. 
Here's another way to close the distance. My wife needs openness and honesty. Your wife has a deep craving to know the details of your life. She wants to know your innermost thoughts, your feelings, the details. And you know what? She has a right to know them. You married her. You say, I do. That's, that's, she has a right to that information. But if you don't give her that information, she's not going to trust you. Look at Proverbs 26, 28. Insincere talk brings nothing but ruin. Guys, let me ask you a question. Would you trust you? If you were somebody looking on the outside at you, would you trust you? Or do you keep putting yourself in situations that just aren't smart? Secret lives mean separate lives. Secret lives mean distance. And your enemy has won if he creates distance. Separate lives not what God intended. When, when you're living separate lives and you don't know anything about each other, you are laying the groundwork for disaster. And your enemy will attack you. Do you want to know how to build or rebuild trust? Live a godly life. I've never known a woman who would not follow a man who was sold out to Christ. They don't exist. When you follow Christ, she will follow you. No marriage can survive a lack of honesty. And this is the best insurance policy that you could have. But don't forget to be tactful. You don't get to do beep, beep sounds in the middle of the night if her backside is a little big. When she asks you about weight, hair, a new dress, don't waste her. Don't say what you're thinking. Tell her she looks like a Fruit Loop or something. That's just not wise. But you do need to figure out ways that you can be honest. Another way to, to close the distance is my wife needs financial security and support. This is a really harsh verse, but men, we need to hear it. 1 Timothy 5.8 If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. If you are the husband, you are the provider. It is your duty to provide for her financial needs. Now, it's not your duty to provide everything that she possibly wants, and that may be an issue that needs to be addressed, but it is your responsibility to provide for her needs. Proverbs 12.9 says, Better to be ordinary and work for a living than act important and starve in the process. There is no job that is beneath my dignity as provider of the home. If my family is hungry, I will take any job. In fact, I have through the years. Sometimes you got to get off your rear and work for the good of your family. Now, let me add this. I believe that part of this equation is providing life insurance for your family. When the church first started, we're, we're about to come up on our seventh year anniversary this summer. When the first church first started, church couldn't afford to pay us, and they certainly couldn't afford to pay life insurance and health insurance. So we went without health insurance for a couple of years and praise God that He just protected our family. But we never went without life insurance. And one of the lessons that I've learned just from, from watching others, Janie's dad, they were wealthy when she was growing up. We weren't wealthy. They were wealthy. And, and her dad made some really foolish choices and he committed adultery and at 52 he died. He had gone from this wealthy man who had provided for his family like crazy to this man who lost his mind and did all kinds of stuff. He canceled his insurance. His life insurance. So he dies at 52 unexpectedly and left her mom. Now, the house was paid for, but the land wasn't paid for. We watched her mom struggle for years financially because a man lost his mind and did not provide life insurance for his family. It's cheap to get term life insurance. You don't have any reason not to have it. 
Okay, I'll get off my soapbox. The last thing is my wife needs my commitment to the family. Like I said, these all five of these may not resonate with you ladies, but I'm willing to bet one of them is pretty high on your list and your man needs to know it. And men, if you'll have a clue, you'll ask her. How do I how do I make a commitment to the family? There's two real simple things. Number one is be faithful to my wife. Look at Proverbs 6.32, but the man who commits adultery is an utter fool for he destroys his own soul. Do you need elaboration on that? You are a fool if you commit adultery. But you got to be wise and put up protection around yourself. Don't ride in cars with someone of the opposite sex who is not your wife or your child. I'll ride with my sister. But I'm not going to ride anywhere by myself with someone of the opposite sex. When I counsel, I do not counsel anyone of the opposite sex without their spouse or my spouse there. Because I'm not going to get into this, this affection thing with anyone except my wife and my girls. Do you understand that? You've got to put up boundaries. Don't stay late at the office with someone of the opposite sex. Just got to be smart. So the first way that I, I uh, commit to the family is I commit to my marriage. I wear this ring everywhere I go. As a reminder to me, if no one else, a reminder to me, I have a tan line where my ring goes. So that if I'm ever out somewhere and some lady thinks I look delicious, and I even happen to take my ring off, she's married. Because I, I, I don't think I'm attractive. Don't get me wrong. But that would freak me out if someone started coming on to me. And I literally would run. You see this fat, bald man running down the highway. I'd run till I puked. Because I don't want to go there. Because I value my wife. Second thing is how I commit to my family is I share the parenting responsibilities. That means you share in discipline. You're unified in discipline. If your kids see you divided, they will play that to their advantage. They come out of the womb knowing how to do that. Here's some practical ideas. Have a meal together, at least one per day. Go to church together. If your kids hate the church you're going to, you be the adult and give up your rights so that your child can maybe connect with the God of the universe. It happened all the time when I was in youth ministry. We'd have kids come to our youth ministry. Their parents would go to a church. Even the parents hated the church that they were going to, but they would have some close relationships that they were... They were um, and, and I understand all of that, but their kids were dying. And I would think somebody's got to be the adult and make the, the choice so that the family can can exist and, and pass on that, that generational biblical connection. Have a family night. Turn off the TV. Do whatever your kids want to do. Go to a ball game together. Make bedtime fun. When you value your children, you put huge deposits into your spouse's relational love bank. And this will pay off. The project that you have together is not important. What's important is you are together. And there's this big fat myth of, well, I'm not, I don't have quality, uh, quantity time, but I have quality time. No, you don't. 
Because quality time has this way of jumping out in ways you don't even see when you set aside a block of time to hang with your family. You're driving down the road and, and your child says, Hey, Dad, what about this? You never saw that coming. The only reason it came out is because you connected. And, and I'm going to tell you something. When, when there is distance between you and your spouse, men, a real man is going to do whatever he can to connect that, close that distance. But when there's distance between you and your children, we'll talk more about this next week, one of you has got to be the adult and you're him. And close the distance to that child. Whatever it takes, we've got to close the distance. Godly families are not dysfunctional. God created the family, and when I'm God-centered, and when Janie is God-centered, there is no problem that comes our way that we can't handle. There's none. Dysfunction means that somehow God has slipped from the top priority in your family. And we need to make some decisions and get Him back at the top. 